What's up, y'all? Kyle here. Um, got a podcast with uh, Aaron from Making a Statement in Sped, and she and I were having a conversation leading up to the podcast. Uh, we met her a couple weeks ago at T- the Teacher Hardout Conference. We were just talking about that and a few other things, and as we got going, I just started uh, asking her the questions. I did not give her a proper intro um, so I want to make sure I do that here. Aaron's awesome. We, like I said, we met her uh, at Teacher Heart Out. She was in a lot of our same sessions. Had a great time. Super awesome teacher. Uh, doing really great things in Sped in the uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and also a uh, contestant and winner on the Prices Right, which I really respect. So uh, wanted to give her a proper introduction. Aaron's awesome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. You know, just having a good time. I'm still a little, still a little salty about that that game at the uh, Teacher Heart Out <laughs> Conference. My, yeah, my team just disappointing. I know. I had a very competitive team. I got lucky because it was gonna go one way or the other. They were either gonna be like, "Who is this super competitive pregnant chick?" <laughs> or they were just gonna join me in the crazy, and they totally did. So I got lucky. <laughs> Right, 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 right. So, so yeah. But I figure we'll just kind of, you know, you know, getting into it. We'll start out, you know, just with the initial question that we, you know, really start out with everyone is: Could you just, you know, tell us your the story of how and why you became a teacher? Sure. Okay. Um. So I actually was not one of those kids that wanted to be a teacher growing up. Um. I wanted to be a dental hygienist. <laughs> Um, my mom was a dental assistant for a while and I grew up going to the dental office. So I thought it was really interesting. And then my mom left that profession and became actually a, a, a paraeducator, which is like an aid in special ed. Um, and even with that, I still wasn't set on being a teacher with that change and seeing her in that setting. Um, and one of the reasons why is because I always tended to struggle in school. Um, I, by struggle, I mean like I had B's and C's, but I was trying so hard to get those B's and C's. And, um, there was a lot of times that I just really like was not confident in what I was doing. And, um, I had multiple teachers like actually say that I wouldn't go to college or that I wasn't smart um, yeah, I remember in, in third grade, we were at, uh, parent conferences and I went along with my parents and my teacher said in front of me that I was not very smart in third grade. So yeah, I had no, no intention of becoming a teacher <laughs> at that point. Um, and it wasn't really until high school I took a psychology course and I loved it and I was like, Ooh, you know? maybe I'd get involved in a school that way and be like a school psych or a school counselor. (laughs) And um, then in college, I was majoring in psychology. I loved it. And one of my teachers, she ended up becoming like my mentor. um, She convinced me to tack on um, a minor in education. So I did that. And then took a couple of SPED classes and saw how those kind of um, went along with my psychology courses that I was in, and I was, like, hooked. I'm like, okay, let's do this. So really my sophomore year of college, um, I decided to go 
the teaching route. Um, and one of the big things that played into that, one of the things that my mentor teacher brought to my attention um, was my sophomore year of college, I actually was diagnosed with auditory processing disorder. So it's a, it's a learning disability, a processing disability, and uh, doesn't mean I'm, I'm deaf or hard of hearing, but <laughs> basically that the way that uh, sound is transmitted into my brain, um, it's harder for me to process or understand things, and I might be a little bit slower to understand it. Or a lot of times I will hear things, <laughs> I will hear things um, in very funny ways, such as, you know, hey, Aaron, can you bring me the broom? But they actually just said, hey, can you come to my room? And so I show up and I'm standing there with a the broom and they're looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is what you wanted. And they're like, no, not even close. So, <laughs> but at least you're here. <laughs> so um, definitely something that played into becoming a SPED teacher. But yeah, it was a long journey to get to where I am. <laughs> and this, you know, and with what you said, the crazy part to me is, um, and I know the world's different than, than when we grew up and, and those things. And, and I don't want to say, I don't want to think that your teacher in third grade was trying to be insensitive, but yeah. I just can't, you know, now being on the flip side of it, understand why an educator would say that in front of a kid. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I went to a private Catholic school, and a lot of my teachers did not have teaching credentials, um, which became very apparent as time went on. Like, my fourth grade teacher didn't know that we had an English language arts book, and that didn't mean that's because he was just really creative and thought outside the box and made up all of his own lessons. I I wish. (laughs) But no, he literally just didn't teach us English, like, the entire year. (laughs) So uh, I ran into quite a few issues like that, and it wasn't until sixth grade that my parents, um, well, I begged my parents to pull me out, um, but they pulled me out of of private school and put me in public school, and um, a lot, a lot changed from there. I had a lot of incredible teachers, and that's what's so funny is that my parents were paying, you know, thousands of dollars for this private school education that really ended up... um, damaging me as a student that damaged my confidence um it made me almost years behind in some subjects and so it wasn't until I got to public school that a lot of that changed um we'll go more into that later I'm sure right wow so so kind of along that you know with your experience of you know, going from private school to public school and, and with your experience as an educator, what do you think is the value of having like a really, really great teacher? Yeah. So yeah, something that I didn't have in, in private school that I definitely had almost the majority of my time in public school was relationships. And that's something that just, it stuck out so much to me in my journey as a student was teachers that took an interest in me and that formed a connection with me, that formed a relationship with me, that truly, truly cared about me and my learning, but also me as a human being. And um, yeah, definitely something that I value in my teaching is having strong relationships with my students. Right, right. And that's overwhelmingly 
uh, I don't think we've had a teacher on this podcast that has not emphasized the value of relationships. And it just, it seems so crazy to me because we kind of, we always ask the follow-up question of when you were in college learning to become a teacher, did they emphasize relationships? And the answer is almost exclusively no. Yeah, no. And, no, not really. <laughs> and and that's the crazy part uh, about it is just if every teacher that you know is really in the classroom understands how important this is, how is it that the all these programs across the country that are training teachers don't get it? Yeah, and don't true. and don't make it an emphasis. So, I, but I I really I mean, and that's one of the things that I value about the teacher community now, especially the Instagram teacher community is. Teachers are putting out there what's really important, and they're they're talking about the things in the classroom that really matter. Oh yeah, I honestly would say that when I'm on Instagram, it is constantly like being in professional development. Like I learned so much through Instagram, um, through other teachers' experiences and what they share on there. So totally. Well, yeah. I yeah. mean, and and we were you know we were talking a little bit ago, like you and I. I think I followed you before I met you at, at Teacher Heart Out, but it was it was so fun because we were in almost exclusively we went to almost all the same sessions. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and it was so fun because as each session went on, we got to know each other a little better. And I'll admit that we had the the put the put a ball on a spoon and run down and back. My team got beat by your team. I was not happy about it, but. I'm okay with it. Your team was good at that challenge. Yeah, we we were we were pretty amazing. Although, didn't your at the end how we had to write we had to write three um, sentences using <laughs> they all had to be compound sentences. Right. And I I think your team wrote like a poem or something. We had some good ri- we did have good writers on there, but <laughs> but I mean that's just the thing. Like I I was just. I mean, I still kind of am on cloud nine because it seems like every day I just scroll back through my pictures from the conference and, you know, I see everybody that's at the TPT conference this week and I'm just mm-hmm. like, man, I wish I could get around. And But, I mean, like you said, going through Instagram, that community is is so strong and it's kind of the antithesis of what a lot of the, the rest of Instagram is where, you know, it's people just posting pictures of really their highlights. But I love how many teachers really are posting about their struggles and the things that aren't working. Cause I think it, it just gives the rest of us kind of that reassurance of like, Oh, okay. Like I'm not the only one who's having a tough time with these certain things. Yeah. I think that's something that's really evolved, um, within the teaching community on Instagram. I think stories really brought that up before, before there were stories scrolling through did look a lot like a highlight reel if you didn't read captions and stuff. But I think having stories and being able to be real and like talk that way has really, really created more of that, that opportunity for people to share their struggles and, Oh, I'm having a hard day with this. And even opening up and asking for advice, which is something that like, that's, it's supposed to be a community, you know? And it's really awesome when I see, um, teachers on there asking for advice, sharing their struggles, that sort of thing. So, right. Right. So, you know, with, with your teaching is, you know, especially your sped background, what is, you know, really the one thing that you really strive to teach your kids while you have them? Yeah. Um, 
So something that I wish would have been instilled in me earlier was believing in myself. Um, I took a lot of my teacher's words to heart. Um, you know, students, they can pick up on anything. They're like sharks. Like, they can smell fear. Right. They right. can tell, like, if you're BSing them, if you're being genuine or not. Like, they can tell. And I could tell. I would sit in that classroom, and I could tell that my teachers didn't believe in me. So I didn't believe in myself. And it wasn't until later that I had a teacher really believe in me. And so that's something that when my kids walk through that door on the first day of school, and now I have some of them for four years, the majority of them for three years. Um, but when they walk through that door, like they know, they know pretty much within the first like 20 minutes of me opening my mouth and, and going through things that I am going to believe in them, that I'm going to be their cheerleader. And Hey, you freshmen, you may not know me yet, but by the end of this year, like you will know that I believe in you. Um, and so that's something that I've really just tried to teach them is how to believe in themselves. Um, and that how to push away kind of the negative thoughts that they've heard. And, um, You'd be surprised how many of my kids have heard things very similar to what I heard um, growing up, a lot of them. And um, so just kind of how to push that aside and uh, get rid of those negative thoughts and really believe in themselves and have confidence in what they can do. So. Yeah, you know, and, and I felt like, you know, the, you were making that point about when kids can smell it. Like, I know that I was, I can think back across my career and think about the times when I really felt good about myself, both as like a person and as an educator, mm-hmm. what a difference it made in my classroom versus the times oh, where I yeah. was really down on myself. And, and I, and I think that's something, you know, really with our podcast and, you know, we were talking about Instagram too, the more we can make teachers believe in themselves and, and really believe in the fact that who they are matters as a person because we're all different and we all bring a different skill set but it it can sometimes feel like we're we're trying to be boxed into be these certain things that um it's really hard for me to imagine and and this is my personal experience like I know the times where I didn't feel good about myself I don't think I made my kids feel good about themselves Mm -hmm. and I don't think I I don't think you can because like you said the kids can sense the kids can sense when you're not being real with them. So I think that's that's such a good point. So you're in the Bay Area, right? If, I, I'm, if yes. I'm remembering that right. So I'm really interested to hear what what your take is on the state of education, especially living in an, an area like that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to spend this just the slightest bit and talk about the state of SPED <laughs> education. Yeah, that'd um, be awesome. Just because that's more of what I see. And I think it applies to general ed as well. But what I see is that we are um, very focused on teaching to the test. We are very focused on setting these high standards. But the expectations for my students in special education are extremely low. And it's <laughs> it's very upsetting for me um, that I get kids that, you know, they haven't learned skills that they should have learned in like third grade, fourth grade. And I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know what that is. <laughs> like, have you heard the word before and maybe forgot? No. And, <laughs> and it's just something that's kind of frustrating is that 
my students, they're mild to moderate, um, so they graduate with a diploma. Um, they could go to college, and they, they're expected to meet the standards. And yet they have teachers that are not teaching them um, up to their potential. They are having these low expectations of, oh, well, they probably won't go to college, so it doesn't matter. Or, oh, the teacher down the line will teach it to them. And it's something that really is infuriating to me to find um, that that is something that I feel is almost, when I talk to other SPED teachers too, they experience a lot of that too. So I think it's almost countrywide, um, if it isn't, that we just have these really high standards for our students, but special ed is still kind of in the corner, in the dark of like, well, you're not going to get there anyway, so we don't need to attempt to teach you the standards. We don't need to attempt to get you there. Do you, yeah. <laughs> do you feel like a lot of, you know, with those low ex- expectations – I mean, because I'm trying to kind of reconcile, you know, my experience mm-hmm. with SPED kids is that a lot of them get pushed through the system. So, mm-hmm. 100%. So how, so how does yeah. that work from your perspective when there, we have low expectations, but yet we're still pushing kids through the system, like you said, not ready for whatever the next step is? Yeah. So we'll just push them on. And so a lot of my, okay, we're going to go into kind of a, a, a whole thing here. Um, but for me... I've viewed special ed as kind of being like a black hole. I think the thought around creating special ed was that it would be kind of a um, an intervention program. It would it would help close the achievement gap. It would create an environment where these students can learn and not necessarily catch up one hundred percent, but get closer than they were in the general ed classroom. But I see it as a black hole that we send kids into special ed and they fall further and further and further behind. And that's not the intention behind it. But that's what ends up happening. And I don't know if there's a lack of communication between teachers when they um, when kids move up in grade levels. Um, I don't I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out myself of what what is causing this gap to increase year after year. Um, but what I am finding is that when my kids get to me, that there has been a lot of things that they just haven't been exposed to and that they haven't been expected to learn. And the, the thought behind it from what I get from my students is that they weren't expected to learn it because they it was believed that they couldn't learn it and that they wouldn't need it for their future. Like college wasn't an option basically, even though it wouldn't hundred percent is, um, for my students. I mean, when I say mild, like these are kids that just have, some of them just have dyslexia. Some of them have the same exact disability that I have. Um, and you know, I, I always wonder what would my life be like had I been placed into, mild to moderate sped had I been placed into resource what would that look like for me um you know and I just I don't know (laughs) right and I just and the hard thing with me too and and I'm sure you deal with it is you were talking about how why the program was developed and we're trying to you know serve the kids the best we can but it it seems Mm -hmm. like they take you know what is now a culture where accountability is everything where we're we're monitoring and this is general education like 
as teachers, we're having to basically prove every day that we're doing our jobs by some type of, you know, form or filling these things out or data. And it's like oh, times, yeah. it's like times 10 for sped kids because by law they have to get these services. And, and I just felt like a lot of times we spent so much more time doing the paperwork and all that, that mm-hmm. we, we didn't prioritize actually serving the kid. And, you know, most of the kids that I, I didn't have anyone that was really severe, um, special ed, but mm-hmm. every special ed kid I had had skills and were capable of doing good things. And, you know, were capable of learning if it was in their own way, but it just was so hard to find the right approach. And, um, and I always, and I a lot of times I co-taught with a sped teacher, but I was never really paired with somebody that was the right vibe for me. Mm-hmm. So it was more like me teaching, um, and them just kind of walking around like helping. And I I think in the co-teaching setting, I really wished at some point I would have gotten paired with somebody who was like really my jam because I I think it would have yeah. been fun and you really could have done good things in that situation yeah totally totally I I know for me so we don't do co-teaching at my school which I really I think that's kind of the wave of the future and where it's going to go um with inclusion and everything but um I'm the only mild to moderate English teacher so I have my kids ninth grade tenth grade um I used to have 11th grade, now I have 12th grade. <laughs> we'll see if that switches back. Um, but so I am the only mild to moderate English teacher besides the person that teaches 11th grade, but there are mild to moderate history teacher. Um, and so for me to collaborate with other people, I'm going to gen ed and getting ideas from them, and then I'm taking those ideas and I am accommodating them and I think something that people get confused in special ed is they confuse especially in elementary school this is a confusing thing and in junior high is they will apply a modification instead of an accommodation and for my students a modification does not earn them a diploma so I cannot take the gen ed teachers assignments and completely change them I can add stuff to them Um, I can come up with my own assignments that reach the standards, of course, too. Um, But if I'm trying to have them do similar things and really feel like, believe in yourself. This is what the, you know, this is what the Gen Ed ninth graders are doing. They just finished reading of Mice and Men, too. And things like that, giving them that opportunity to really reach the same things that the other students on our campus are doing has been really, really helpful. Um, but sometimes it's very isolating because I'm the only one that does what I do <laughs> on my campus. So what is, what is the difference between modification and accommodation? Okay, so an accommodation is adding something um, such as like reading aloud. So reading aloud the instructions, reading aloud um the novel, as long as you're not looking for reading comprehension, because then if you add reading aloud to them, then you're not testing their reading comprehension, and you're testing their auditory. But anyways, um, a modification is is straight up changing it. So rather than my students being given an essay test, they are now given multiple choice. So I changed the standard there, because I'm no longer testing their ability to write and looking for grammar and punctuation and spelling and all of that. Now I'm just looking for can they 
fill in a bubble. Um, so that is a modification. An accommodation would be maybe that student, they don't actually physically write it themselves, but I become their scribe and they say to me what they'd want to write. They also have to say the punctuation and things like that. And I um, write for them. And you said in your school, kids who get accommodations can get a diploma, but kids who get modifications cannot? Exactly. Yeah. So in the state of California, I know it's different um, in other states, but in the state of California, in order to receive a diploma, you could not have modified curriculum. Wow. Mm-hmm. That seems crazy to me because, you know, especially when I taught in Texas, you know, I, I guess I asked the question because I wasn't sure because, you know, I taught sped kids most of the time I was there and, you know, they would the SPED teacher, we would have a test and the SPED teacher would go through and if it was multiple choice, they would eliminate answer choices or, um, you know, if it was a short answer, they would work with, you know, there, there were different things, but, you know, even the SPED kids in Texas, no matter how they got through, they were going to get a diploma. I, that just seems crazy to me that that's so anti, like trying to be diverse and, you know, teach kids on an individual level that if you modify anything. Yeah, it is and it isn't, though, because I think a lot of times we give kids too much. We give them too many accommodations. We give them too many modifications. And that's when we see um, a lot of that just, like, helpless learning of, like, I can't do it. I need this. I need this support or I can't do it. And I have to look at them and go, I know that you've had this all through junior high, but you can't do it without it. And and watch. You are going to. Um, I also teach uh, the freshman health class, and I... literally teach everything exactly the same as gen ed i just have an extra day like they only have half of the year and i get the full year to teach health so i have an extra day to teach everything um and my kids take the same exact tests they do the same projects they hear the same lectures um everything is the same and the only thing that i do is i accommodate them i will read the questions aloud i will re-explain directions but I don't, I don't change anything. And my kids excel. They excel in that class. And, I, you know, when they take that first test, I'm like, how many of you thought that was hard? And, you know, a good amount of them will raise their hand, and some of them will be like, I didn't think it was that bad. And I'm like, that was the gen ed test. Exactly 100% the gen ed test. And you all passed it. You know, you all did amazing on it. So... I know in junior high you receive different kinds of help, and I know that you've um, been used to receiving certain, you know, I don't want to tell them that they've been getting modifications of nice in it, but I tell them, like, I know you've been used to getting a certain type of aid, but you just prove that you don't need that to be successful. And that's really when I look at my kids that go on to college, um, that's what's helped them the most because college isn't going to give them modifications either. They can give them accommodations. Like I said, college can give a scribe, a note taker, things like that, but they cannot change the curriculum for them. They cannot change the tests for them. So it's really, you know, when they get to me in high school, it's, it's what I got to do to make my kids be the most prepared for whatever field they decide to go into. Right. Right. And, and with your background of, of having a learning disability, 
how does that mm-hmm. impact, you know, the way you interact with those kids? I mean, do they respond better to you because they, I mean, do they know that about you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they know. Um, like I said, a lot of my kids that are in my classes do have a processing disorder, whether it be visual, auditory, um, kinesthetic, but a lot of them have a processing disorder. And so the fact that I, too, have one, um, I'm very open about that with them. Um, I'm very open to talking with them about tips and tricks that I unknowingly taught myself to get through hearing things. Um, (laughs) Like a lot of times if I'm listening to something important, I will like um, kind of tap on my fingers or I do something that I'm very kinesthetic. I'm very uh, physically active. I like to move. And so I will, uh, I will, really accommodate myself in my need um, with struggling to process things that are spoken that I'm listening to by doing something slightly physical to help me recall information. And uh, for a long time, I just thought that I had ADHD (laughs) and that's why I was doing that. And I had sort of self-diagnosed myself with ADHD and, uh, but the psychiatrist that I went to that did all my testing was like, no, no, you actually were just using that, using um, kinesthetic skills to really um, process things better. And so I'll teach them different tips of like chunking conversations or not being afraid to ask people to repeat things or things like that. Um, I use a lot of that with them of, of here was my, here's my experience. Here's what I dealt with. Um, and yeah, I find that my kids respond really well to that. I think it makes them really comfortable. Um, also with parents and IEPs and stuff, a lot of parents have heard that their kids may not be able to go to college. And I share, you know, I had, uh, not necessarily, I didn't have an IEP since I, uh, wasn't diagnosed until my sophomore year, but I, of, of college, but I had, um, accommodations in college. I had someone that took my notes when I sat in lectures because, oh, those were a doozy when it wasn't on the PowerPoint. I was totally lost sometimes <laughs> and things like that. So I had assistance in college and it's available. Um, so not only does it help my students, but it also helps the parents too. Cause a lot of times they don't know about those things. Right. And, and I'm totally like with you on that in terms of being a very kinesthetic person. And, you know, if I could go back to college, I, I would, if I were in college now, cause I'm a very auditory person, like I get 10 times more out of an aud- an audio book than I do out mm-hmm. of reading uh, a page book because it's, I, I feel like every time I read a page book, I'll do that thing where I'm on page 20 and then five minutes later I'm on page 30 and I have no, I have no, I have no idea what I just read. Yeah, um, that's me with an audio book. See, yeah, we're, we're opposites. <laughs> See, and, and but the thing is, though, for me, though, I wish I would have known in college, like now, now with an iPhone, if I was in it, I would just, I yeah. would set my phone down and I would hit the record button, and every time there was a lecture, I would just record it so that way. I could go back through it on my own time, you know, because I wanted to, you know, I want to take notes you know, in classes and do those things, but it was really hard for me to listen and take notes. Like my friends. Yeah. And this is what I'm learning in my mid thirties is that I can't have more than one thing on at a time. So if I'm writing something, I can't have music on. 
because I'll get distracted. Mm-hmm. Any any real audio will will gather my attention. Yeah. So so that when, makes sense. so when I'm when I'm doing something like that, I I'm learning like I can't listen. I can't listen to an audiobook and and do something. Like if I if I'm cleaning my house, yes, then I can listen to music and do that cuz that's I it doesn't take me any real uh mm-hmm. power of my brain to clean the house, but when I'm focused on it, I I can really only only do a few things. Like my my friends will make fun of me cuz we'll go to go to a place like Buffalo Wild Wings. And I'll sit there and there's so many TVs and so much audio that I will just be like a pinball machine, like going from screen to screen, trying to figure out everything that's going on. And it, and I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at realizing that I do it because I don't I don't mean to be disengaged from the people I'm with. Mm-hmm. It, it just that's just the way I am. Yeah. And, and yeah, for sure. It's taken, you know, and that's the thing like, you know, as an educator. I think sharing that story with kids would be really powerful because I know there are kids that go through it, especially when they have access to their cell phone. Every mm-hmm. single, they, they've got so much of that. But really for me, I, I wish I could go back and, and, and know, know what I, you know, know then what I know now. But I mean, I, I think that's really great that you, that you share. I mean, cause I know a lot of teachers and I had a lot of teachers that were very anti sharing what was really going on with them and what they, you know, what they were going through. And I really admire you that you're like, Hey, you know, I, I went through it. And I think that's such a powerful lesson for kids. Like Wilkie tells a story to his students that he dropped out in the sixth grade and then had to, and, and then had to go back and repeat the sixth grade. And he's going back to teaching sixth grade this upcoming year. And he'll come right out of the gate with that story with those kids, you know, cause he's, he's, he's in Houston. Um, you know, teaching in a, in a school that is a majority African-American, but basically the rest are going to be Hispanic and then a few um, of Asian descent. But a lot of those kids come from rough backgrounds and they've had a tough time in school. And, and that story of him saying like, hey, I, I did it from, from that perspective, I think is super, super important. Yeah, totally. So what advice would you give to to a general classroom teacher on how to be more effective with their SPED students? Um, I definitely think just don't drop your expectations of them. Uh, some teachers, I think, come right out of the gate just looking at their, um, their disability and you know, seeing in red next to the student's name SPED or IEP, and they're like, oh gosh, like I need to differentiate. And I think before you differentiate, really, really try to understand what the student's needs actually are. Because sometimes what's in the IEP, there's a lot of extra, you know, like I said, extra accommodations, extra modifications. And I think just trying to figure out what does the student truly need and going with that, you're going to be a lot more helpful in the IEP to say, hey, you know, I, I still, those accommodations were available when they were needed because they're written in the IEP. So they got to be available. They were available when they were needed, but this student really excelled without them. And I'm not sure if we need them anymore. And that parent's going to be happy. Um, (laughs) that student's going to feel like they're overcoming, um, 
just this task of hearing what they can't do and really starting to understand more of here's what I can do. So I think really just giving that child a chance. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, and when we were talking a little bit about what we wanted to talk about in the podcast, you were talking about your school's uh, peer counseling class, and I'd really mm-hmm. like to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, so I actually, yeah, I, I, I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> I teach sped English, I teach sped health, and then I also teach, this is considered a gen ed elective, but of course my kids can take it as well. Um And so it is called peer resources. I always refer to it as peer counseling because people are always like, what's peer resources? Um, But that's the coded name. It is called uh, peer counseling. Um, And it is just an incredible class that really trains students um, how to be available to help other students conquer different problems that they may be dealing with. But before before I teach them how to counsel others, it really is about teaching them to look intrinsically within themselves, um, what's bothering them, what do they have bottled up, and really dealing with um, stuff that they may not be wanting to touch and kind of bringing that out. And then once we get to that point, then it really goes into training of, okay, now that I've helped myself, how do I help others that are struggling on campus? Um, So it's a mental health-based class. Um, it's, it's really like, I get kids in there from all different walks of life. I I have, you know, AP kids, I have, um, the middle of the barrel kids. I have struggling students. I have kids that have been in counseling enriched, um, sped with emotional disturbance as their, um, diagnosis. So I have a, a big mix of students in that class that are all there because they want to help other kids and it's just really it's it's an incredible um program (laughs) gosh i feel like that's something we should have you know everywhere because i really i mean in that i wish you could have that class for teachers too because i think Mm -hmm. you know and, and i alluded to it a little bit earlier you can't take care of someone else if you if you haven't taken care of yourself first. And I think the fact that you're you're really forcing I don't want to say forcing, but you're leading kids to look inward, like you said, mm-hmm. and really figure out what's going yeah. on with them. You know, and and like with your disability or whatever it is, I think the best way to lead someone is to model for them. Oh, one hundred percent. So yeah. if these kids are modeling, um, you know those right ways to deal and and you know it's so crazy to me and I and I've said this you know I taught high school kids last year and I said this to them so many of them they live in a completely different world than I did in high school 15 years ago like the world they live in is so much more complex do they have access to things that I never did absolutely but the amount of input that they have and the amount of things that are going on and the amount of drama and the amount of problems that come into their world is, is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I really, oh, yeah. I really feel like, you know, counseling is so important. And from, you know, we, we lost three high school students this past year in a school of only about a thousand kids. Wow. We wow. had, we had one that, that died in a car crash and we had two suicides. Yeah. And it's just, and I'm not saying it's because of technology and and social media and those things, but it's just, our kids need it. And Mm -hmm. you know, we, we, 
we really could have, I mean, I could have used it in high school. Like I lost in a two and a half week span, my junior year of high school, I lost my grandpa and my grandma on my mom's side. Wow. And it was just, it was such a hard time for me. And I look back and I was lucky that I had a super, you know, I have a super strong family. So I had a lot of support during that time, but had I not had that, I wonder how much different the rest of my high school career would have been. Yeah. You know, cause yeah. I, I won't, I won't say that I was less motivated my senior year, but I just, I felt like things, the things I thought were important, you know, leading up to my junior year, they just weren't as important. Like when I was playing sports, it was more that I wanted to really be a part of a team and I wanted to be around my friends and I didn't, I didn't care about whether I was good or, or those things. It was just really that point of like, I, I, I think at that time I just really craved being around people and, and like your peer counseling class, I think would have made a huge difference. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, so things like that. Um, what's cool is that teachers, they will send me, so I have, you know, like a Google form that they fill out. And if they notice a kid all of a sudden, maybe motivation has dropped off or maybe they just are different in class. They used to be a lot more social and outgoing or they used to smile more and all of a sudden they're not as much. I will get in the Google form a notification of kind of who the student is, what's going on, and that they would like as um, a peer to come check in with them. And so then I make an arrangement with one of my students um, to go kind of check in with them. And they really, you know, we focus on rapport building first, get to know each other, um, ask each other questions that are before going under the tip of the, of the iceberg there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not only does it um, allow for that student to be recognized of, we see your struggle, we see that you're going through something, but it also gives them a, a person on campus that they feel comfortable with that's not necessarily a teacher or a counselor, um, but another student that they can go and have lunch with, um, that they can talk to on the weekends, whatever, things like that. And yeah, it's just really um, made a huge difference. Um, My school has about 1,400 kids. And two years ago, um, we had four suicide attempts that all um, were caught early enough on. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of them had already attempted, but we peers had found out about it through social media or through um, a concerned friend calling one of them that we were able to get, uh, you know, the cops out there to that kid before they were successful. And it's something that I look at, like, would I have loved to have had them not even attempt in the first place? Definitely. But we got there in time. And who knows how many kids we have stopped um, from even attempting because of this program, I don't know. Um, all we can see are the ones that have have tried but haven't been successful because we got there at times. So, you know, sometimes I'm up till there have literally been times that I'm up till midnight on the phone with um, some of my kids that are like, I'm really concerned about this person. They just posted this on on Instagram or um, one of their friends contacted me and they're concerned about them because they started doing this. And, you know, sometimes it's long nights. <laughs> But at the end of the day, it's it's worth it. We're keeping 
kids alive. We are helping them with their mental health, how to tackle problems in the future. Um, and it really, yeah, it's just, it's an awesome program. Um, and I think every school should be required to have it, honestly. Is, is it a program that you've created or did you adopt a program that was already created? Yeah, so I adopted a program and um, it's been around my school for almost 20 years. I actually went to my school my freshman year of high school, um, so I now teach there. Nice. <laughs> um, and so it was there when I went there. And I remember thinking then as a student, like, this is a really cool program, like, why don't other schools have this? And then the school that I went to after that did not have it. And um, I don't really know why that is, but it didn't really spread. Um, but now, since I've, I've been in charge, this will be my third year of being in charge of this program. And um, we've been able to spread it to two other high schools in our area that are now adopting it as a class and everything. And um, we're hoping just to continue continue spreading it because there's a lot of you know good information in there um it's actually the kids go through two years of training so the first year is that kind of looking within and then becoming a a counselor and then the second year they're actually trained on how to do um restorative conferences like conflict mediation Mm -hmm. (laughs) but a more restorative approach to it and they're actually trained on that and um uh, our admin will use that instead of suspending students for getting in fights or verbal altercations. They will send those students to my peers um, and they'll come up with a contract and do a restorative conference with them and check in with them in the future and things like that. And um, so we've seen less fighting and things like that as well um, through the use of that of my program. So it's really, yeah, it's something that I've just, I've been blessed that it kind of fell into my arms because like we were saying earlier, um, the best way for kids to understand how to open up and look within and take care of themselves is to model it. And I sit in that class and I'm, I'm allowed to be very open. If my husband and I had a, a fight about something, you know, a disagreement about something, I share it with my kids. I share how I handled it. Um, you know, things like that. And I'm constantly modeling for them how to, how to open up and talk about things and how I handle different disagreements and whatnot. And, um, I never thought that I'd be able to do that as a teacher, but it's really awesome because it's allowed me to use my, my psychology degree that I got in college, um, in the classroom a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So I kind of want to shift gears and, and kind of wrap it up. Cause I know you're, uh, you're busy and sure. you're getting ready for, ready for the baby in hopefully a little less than a month here. But, um, yeah. okay. So a, qu- a question I got to ask, and I didn't even realize this to you until I surfed your Instagram. Can you talk okay. about the, the price is right meme? Cause that's maybe the greatest thing I've ever seen on the internet. <laughs> All right. What do you want to know about the price is right? Meme? <laughs> okay. So, so you were legitimate, like made it to the showcase showdown. Yeah. Did you win? Yeah, I did. I did. I won the entire thing. <laughs> What did you win? Um, so I won a car. It was a 2017 Prius, like fully loaded and whatever. Um, they don't tell you before you go on the show, but you can actually like um, apply the cost of the car onto any car within the same like um, 
whatever it is. <laughs> so like I could go anywhere within the Toyota line. So I was able to go up. I ended up putting it a nice hefty down payment on a Lexus from my winning of the Prius. <laughs> and wow. then, um, yeah, it was really nice. <laughs> Um, and then I also won a trip to um, the Mediterranean, and it was really funny because I had told my husband before I went on the show that um, next summer I really want to go to Italy and Greece. I'm like, I really want to go. We will put money aside. We will scrape money together. I don't know. <laughs> right. uh, but That's we're going to so figure awesome. out how to get there. Yeah. yeah. And then I won it. <laughs> Awesome. So, so was that like, so then did, when you go on there, did you know you were going to get called like down to the thing? No, No, I had no idea. And with my auditory processing, they said my name and I didn't even process it. Um, I had to read it off of the cue card. (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. So, so then like, where did the, the picture you posted on Instagram, was that like a friend took that or, or no, um, that was actually a still from the episode. So I was watching the episode and I saw that face and I, I paused it and took that picture, like a screenshot of it on the computer. Cause I was dying. Cause that is such a me face. <laughs> what was happening at that time that the picture was taken? Um, so before the, um, before the showcase showdown started, one of the producers came out and warned myself and the other girl, um, said, you need to be aware that no one likes to watch a show where both contestants go over and no one wins. So um, whatever you think it is, bid a little lower. So I was like, okay. So I totally lowballed the amount that I thought my showcase was. And, um, that face was Drew Carey reading it off and me being off by nine grand and being like, Oh, yeah, I don't know if I won this. Did the, did the other lady go over? Oh no. She totally lowballed it too. Even more than I did. And finally, when I like got over the, the shock of the difference and I thought about her showcase and the price of her items, um, cause she only bid like a thousand dollars more than I did. And she had the, the, the higher showcase, like she had a, a speedboat and a Harley and a trip somewhere, things I wouldn't have wanted <laughs> necessarily. Um, right. But but so hers was definitely worth more than mine, and she only went like a thousand above me, and I'm like, oh, there's no way. Like my Prius compared to her Harley and her uh, speedboat, her speedboat, like. I got this. And so the next face, which they don't show because they pan over to her, but the next face was me looking at my, my two teaching buddies in the audience and being like, I got this. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so fantastic. Um, Monica Genta, who presented at Teach Your Heart Out, she was telling me she was on the, the show Let's Make a Deal with Wayne Brady. Oh, really? Yeah. But she said it was crazy. And that's why I asked you if you knew you were going to pick because she like, knew she was going to get picked. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. No, you have you have no idea. Literally, until they tell you to come on down. What did What did you bid on when you came when you went on down? Um, I bid on an electric guitar and a light up keyboard. I chose not to keep either of those. I thought about keeping them and donating them to our music department, but they didn't want them. So then I just um, I didn't keep them because I didn't want to do the taxes on them. <laughs> Dude, that's hilarious. 
All right. So to, to wrap it up, um, and these questions you can answer, you know, based on teaching or, or based on just whatever. So um, what's the best advice you've been ever been given? Um, I think the best advice has been don't compare your chapter one to their chapter 15 and um, just never knowing where someone else stands in their profession or in their life and um, just really focus on yourself and, and your successes rather than looking at someone else's. Oh man, that's really good. I've never heard it said that way. That's really <laughs> good. All right. Nah, da, 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 da. If there's one thing you wish parents knew about teaching, what would it be? Um, I wish, first of all, that they knew how many hours of work that I put into teaching their kids. But the second thing and kind of the theme of what I've been talking about this whole time is really just how much their kids need them to believe in them. And I think a lot of parents do believe in their kids, but I think it really needs to be vocalized for my kids so that their parents truly believe in them and want them to succeed. Right. So if you could give one piece of advice to a struggling teacher, what would it be? Roll with it. Um, I was very type A teacher my first year teaching, and I would spend hours planning out these beautiful lessons, and then they would not go as planned, and my first instinct was to freak out, Um, but eventually I started rolling with it, and the lessons that came out of it turned out to be 10 times better than what I had planned originally, so I think just rolling with it all. That's good. That is a good piece of advice. All right, so... uh, we, we talked a little bit prior about the books you're reading. So so what what have you been reading lately and what's the best thing you've been reading? Yeah, so um, I've been reading a lot of parenting books. Um, you know, the Mayo Clinic, uh, What to Expect book, the um, What to Expect After the First Year <laughs> book sort of thing. Um, but I've also been trying, so those have really replaced my, my teaching PD books uh, up until now. I'm going to start reading some this summer. Um, but I've also been reading some books for fun. So I really liked um, The Final Girls. Um, I'm, I'm not really big into, like, mysteries and stuff like that. But I realized through this book that maybe I am because I, like, loved it and couldn't put it down. And the whole time I was, like, trying to solve what happened. So um, really enjoyed that book. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. What's, uh, what's been your proudest accomplishment to date? Um, I think something that's been really cool that I never expected to happen within – I just finished my fifth year of teaching, and um, for the last two years now, I have been asked to lead professional developments for my district um, on kind of my teaching philosophy um, and some other programs and stuff that I've put together at my school for special ed, so um, I've really enjoyed doing that, and I think that's definitely something that is a huge accomplishment because I never thought, like... I don't feel like a veteran teacher yet, but leading PDs seems pretty veteran-y to me. Right. <laughs> That's a word. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So um, before we ask you the last question and get you out of here, if people want to connect with you, find you online, what's the what's the best way for them to do that? Um, so I have an Instagram and I have a Facebook, and they are both using making a statement instead. 
no periods or anything in between, just simple making a statement instead. <laughs> awesome. Well, I do so appreciate you taking some time out this morning uh, to have a conversation with me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, totally. Awesome. So Learned the, a lot more about you. Yeah, you know, other than the fact that I'm a sore loser. Yes, yes, um, true. But yeah, so <laughs> last question, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, well, I really want to be known as a teacher that raised kids, kids' confidences and um, taught students how to believe in themselves and allowed them to achieve more than they thought possible. Yeah, <laughs> really awesome. going with the theme of the whole, whole Ooh, That's perfect. <laughs> perfect. So, Aaron, once again, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this.